When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense from that Lions game. And honestly, sometimes there's one good show and there's one show that's just not as good. This week, they're both going to be a lot of fun. And making it that much more fun is I'm joined by Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Banner. Jonas, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Great to be, be back on. Uh, always. Uh, it's been it's been way too long. Um, uh, Jonas uh, used to be the lead writer at the Baltimore Sun. And for football, anyway, that's what I think of you. I don't know what your actual title was, beat writer, I guess. Um, But uh, uh, outstanding uh, guy, I think, uh, in terms of the Sun's progression and how much the analysis component improved, I really traced that back to when they hired you. And I thought Jeff was was and is great. Um, Tremendous reporter of news, has his pulse on a hand on the pulse and whatnot, but really appreciate all the additional analysis you brought to the sun when you were there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest difference between Jeff and I is that uh, I will use DVOA and uh, he has no use for the subject, but uh, different strokes for different folks. Some folks love counting stats, some folks love uh, opponent adjusted. Uh, you know, esoteric averages, and and that's me. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, well, I'm sure have fun talking about all kinds of things uh, on this show. Uh, thoroughly dominant performance. Uh, you know, not just on the scoreboard. It was it was every bit as dominant on the field. I thought in this game, um, the Ravens again brought it home with a four man pass rush. We'll get into a lot of this. What are you taking from this in terms of? Um, it's a very staid. Um, defensive game plan, very basic. Um, and yet it's working so well. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it, it's basic in the sense that, you know, you, you, they're not relying on the Wink Martindale level of blitzes, but the, the ways that Mike McDonald can get to four men, a four man pass rush, and not have it compromise the integrity of his coverage plan or his run fits is I think what separates him from your, you know, run of the mill defensive coordinator here. I I forget if it was, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to all the crazy stuff that, that he schemed up in this game, but I'm still thinking about the dropping of Broderick Jones, excuse Mm -hmm. me, of Broderick Washington and Travis Jones as Arthur Milet screams off the corner on a slot blitz, which is effectively I think it turned out to be a four-man pressure package, but it was not something that you would see in JV football. You know that, that that's no. not that's something you can only run with an elite coordinator and very very good players who are totally bought in. So, um, you know, when, when we you know kind of poked around the Ravens before the season, I think there was a wanting on the behalf of John Harbaugh to be more aggressive. You know, uh, I, I always kind of go back to um, him 
he, he did like a conference call during the Wink Martindale days where uh, either he himself referred to uh, himself as like the third Ryan brother or the columnist who was writing the story referred himself as, as the third Ryan brother because he was, you know, comes from that Jim Johnson school in Philadelphia, which is just pressure blitz, pressure blitz. And I think it's so fascinating that he has been totally accepting of this Mike McDonald style where it's bend, but don't break. We're not going to blitz more than like, you know, 25% of the time in a game. We're still going to have those cover zero, you know, humdingers just coming straight down the barrel at you, but he is totally comfortable basically doing a complete 180 from the head coach of the defense that was blitzing more than 50% of the time. And lo and behold, it's, it's absolutely working. And and everyone in this team is, is totally bought in. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's been really special. And that the play you're talking about was a four, three blitz, as I call it, it means he's got, he get the four in the end, but he had three drop from the line of scrimmage, including Patrick, Patrick queen. You just, I think you had it exactly right. That it was Washington and, and Travis Jones dropped. To, yeah. Or, or, as I was thinking of it, yeah. <laughs> uh, a third of a ton of football beef dropping at the line of scrimmage. Which yeah. is just, <laughs> you don't really see guys, uh, guys plural of that size dropping, but it worked, man. So you were, you were covering the team in 2021 when they played the dolphins in that 40 cover zero blitz game. Yeah. So when they, that they lost down there, Adam Butler, their nose tackle dropped 18 times in that game. 18 times from a nose tackle, but they really, they knew how to play it in terms of, of rush the edges, but leave, a, leave some people without dance partners in the middle of the field. And that was, that was very effective. Unfortunately, that game against the Ravens. Is there, is there a name? I should, I should probably know this as a, someone who covers the NFL, but is there a name for that type of engagement where it just, you are throwing your hands into the center or the guard. And then as soon as that contact is engaged and they're occupied for that split second, Simulated pressure, I think, is the term you're looking for. It's 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 when it, well, when I, I think, yeah, I mean, like I, I I'm just talking about the the actual component of a simulated pressure, like when you are basically hmm. doing the bare minimum to get that opposing lineman's attention, and then you're backing up. I, I remember asking Wake Martindale about it, like when he was still DC, and he didn't really have an answer for it, or he was given a acute answer that was of no help to me. But I I, I just think it's it's fascinating. The, not only just the act of it, but the etymology of, of some of these, mm-hmm. you know, football terminology, like a, there's the coffee house uh, stunt or, or whatever, where it's like you're pretending to leave and you're coming back around and, and uh, <laughs> surprising the, 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 the offensive lineman. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really exciting to see um, any defense do that successfully. And for the Ravens to, I think, really tick it up uh, in this game was, so, was really effective and smart. That'd be a very good question for a player is what do you call it when you when you hand check your opponent before dropping? And that's I think that's what you're really asking here, because if it's just right. a straight drop from the line of scrimmage, it is still effective because it leaves people on the interior wondering, who am I going to block? And they look for work to the outside, but they can't transfer that work one body at a time very efficiently, certainly not right. in time to you know get that unblocked edge rusher taken care of. So. Uh, it's just the nature of football. You always got one more at the line of scrimmage that you can block if uh, if the other team wants it that way. Yeah. yeah and that was what was so interesting about that Miami game because it was just like they're going to do just enough to engage those offensive linemen that they are going to make it hell for the you know the running back or the outside tackles to to block whoever was that was coming. And the Ravens just didn't have a good strategy for that game. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it is just kind of remarkable to think about how easily some teams have found strategies for that cover zero strat that that cover zero strategy. Like uh, I'm not sure, Ken, if you saw the 
that that crazy uh, Vikings Chargers game from like a month ago, where it was like a sixty percent cover zero rate for from Brian Flores versus Justin Herbert, and it was just like mm-hmm. I think the JT O'Sullivan, the QB school, you know, calls that kind of birds on a wire strategy, where it's just mm-hmm. the 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 defensive backs are on the exact same depth, just basically guarding that that yeah. first down marker, and Justin Herbert and the Chargers just ate that day because I think every single time that Minnesota showed that kind of pre-snap cover zero look they would basically audible into like a quick hitting screen where i think the the inside receiver would block for the outside receiver and you could have that real estate to make it work because it was thrown quickly enough where you could you know get it out ahead of that blitz and you could also put yourself in a position where you're basically getting a one-on-one every single time if not a more favorable advantage and I think that was the game where Herbert had like 350 or 400 yards. And it's just, a, it's crazy to think that Greg Roman over the course of three quarters, four quarters, just couldn't come up with something as simple as that. And, right. you know, that was, that was the difference in that game. It was just one, one answer. And we're probably talking about the, the legacy of that game, I think is very, very different. Yeah. It, it's and, and they were ready for it the next week in terms of having some wide receiver screens and things to do. But the, the other thing is, and, and people don't realize how little time it takes to get his pass off. If you're used to timing the deep route, the old Walsh route that you complete the pass to the receiver at 41 or 42 yards downfield, it, it only takes like right at two seconds to release. And even with cover zero, it's very hard to get the pressure in the court on top of the quarterback in that amount of time. So it, it, it's a it's definitely doable to throw deep against that, and you're throwing into these in a single you know one on one coverages where you know two of the three events are bad for the. Uh, for the defense. So it is, it's certainly possible to beat it by throwing deep. You just have to, you have to throw a certain type of air, a ball with a lot of air under it and allow your receiver to go get it. Yeah. I mean, there was that Sammy Watkins, what it could have, should have touched down right in the first mm-hmm. quarter, second quarter, where he seemed to pull up kind of near the, near the back of the end zone. And if he catches that, um, I feel like they probably pull away and, and win rather easily and avoid a horrifically embarrassing loss, but he didn't and they lost. <laughs> All right, let's come back to today here. The, the the Ravens lead the NFL with 29 sacks. No one would have predicted this at the beginning of the season. If you did, show me the tweet because <laughs> I, I want I want to see it. Um, but it's obviously a, a a team that is has put together a very good schematic plan. But here's the question that keeps getting asked. Obviously, the trade deadline's coming up, and the Ravens may or may not make a move. I I, I really dislike a lot of the possible moves, particularly those that involve cap space or draft capital, and almost all the moves involve one of those two things, they, the, unless there's a, a very low-budget free agent that they could still pick up, which Ndamukong Su might fit into that category. Um, are, are you of the opinion that the Ravens need a pass rusher at this point? Not, I don't know. In, in, in the context of if you have, like, I guess I would say, if the Super Bowl were this week and they had the option of going to get a pass rusher, then, but it would like cost them something severe next year. Um, I, guess I, I guess I shouldn't say Super Bowl. If, if it was like the chance, if it was like a wild card game or a chance to mm-hmm. win the AFC North, I would say no. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that, you know, Adafe is coming back from that ankle injury, which means that he's probably at a greater risk for re-injury. And then you have Jadevian Clowney, who I don't think anyone, certainly not me, expected to have as clean a bill of health 
as he has had this this year. Um, you know, we don't know the Tyus Bowser situation. Uh, not in love with what David Ajabo could do if and when he comes back later this season. So, uh, you know, I, I've got a story coming out tomorrow that just is the you know classic reporter speculative trade deadline story. Even though <laughs> we're still uh, you know a week away from from Halloween at this point, and like the the kind of buy high option was you know the, the obligatory Chase Young angle just because he is a local kid he's got five sacks i think he's top 20 in in win rate on, on espn but then i think the more appealing more sensible by low option would be carl lawson who is just not getting mm-hmm. any snaps on that giants pass on that excuse me on that jets pass rush i think he's played in like four games he's been a healthy scratch in two of them um doesn't have a doesn't have overwhelming stats uh, or really any stats to speak of. I think he doesn't have a sack or a tackle for a loss or a QB hit this year. But with his time in the AFC North, I think the Ravens coaches certainly know his the caliber of pass rush that he has. And last year, I think he had seven sacks and finished top 30 uh, in, in PFF in, in total pressures among edge rushers. So it's not like he's that far off from being an impactful guy. And, you know, just from a business perspective, if I'm his agent or if I'm Carl Lawson himself, I'm wanting to get out of New York, you know, not only for the chance to play for a potential contender, but just to play on a defense with a less crowded depth chart. And, you know, obviously you could you could say, well, how much space is there really for him? Well, it could it could open up awfully quick if, if some of these guys that we're talking about who have these injury histories get hurt again. So I don't think it's I think he's a very, very manageable base salary. And um, he's to me, he's a guy, the kind of guy that you would spend, you know, a fifth or a sixth round pick and, and on getting, even if it is for just that short term rental. I don't think I'd go that high. He's 3.7 million left on the cap for this year. So it's not a zero, but, uh, you know, you're, you're at, you have to figure out where you're adding on the margin to yourself. So he's designated pass rusher here. And that's pretty much what he's been his whole career, right? Hasn't been a run stopping guy um, as far as I can remember ever. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he's played the run a little bit better than than I think. But I think primarily he's been in there for pass rush snaps. Looks like he's got yeah. I mean, he, he's two point two to one more than like yeah, yeah, never more than sixty eight percent of the snaps for a uh, for a team. And it, I, like I mean, that's a good that's a good percentage of snaps for an outside linebacker. But what the the point I was making yeah. is that he's he's played about two point two to one um, pass to run snaps. So they've used him mostly situational. Gotcha. So I, I'm, you know, there's a whole lot of options out there. I just, I think with, you know, I, you can find little reasons to not like Van Noy because he's old or Clowney because he's old and has an injury history or away because he's coming back off injury or Jabba was probably the most realistic is he's a, he's a guy who has never produced at the NFL level. Not really. And he's hurt, right. but you know, the, the, the big three right now are pretty impressive. Harrison has been a pretty good run stopper as a fourth. And then they have Robinson, who's kind of a lottery ticket as a fifth. And honestly, I think they've got his snaps managed down properly right now to pretty close to nothing. Yeah. And I I really, really liked what I saw from from Adafi and the the fact that that was his first game back from an ankle injury and he Mm -hmm. presumably wasn't 100%. I think he might have been limited in his Wednesday practice uh, last week. So obviously Mm -hmm. there still is that that uh, the level of of rehab that that he has to complete, but 
you know, that that was a tr- tremendous pair of bookend tackles. And he, he beat Decker for the one sack despite being tripped while, uh, while he, he made his way to Jared Goff for that first fumble. And then he, you know, showed that, that basketball background to, to kind of beat Pen- Penny Sewell with that kind of left to right crossover move and, and draw that holding penalty, I think in the mm-hmm. third quarter or, or thereabouts. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, I love his growth as a player. I did a story on him like mid-August or so um, where, he, where he acknowledged that he was basically for the first two years of his career trying to play a type of game that wasn't ultimately the best suited for him. Um, you know, he, he wants to be more of a, a speed-to-power guy. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because he has been more effective, obviously, in these two full games that he's played. But I still think on that spectrum of, you know, speed to power, he's probably more of the the speed guy. Like he he's not really making the kind of, um, you know, cage rushes that we saw like Aiden Hutchinson do over and over again yeah. on Sunday. But uh, you know, I would like to see the long arm more. I, w- I would like to see those those bull rushes more from from Oa because he's just such a he's got such a lean frame, so such a long frame. But hey, man, it's working for him. And uh, who am I to tell him that he that you know how his approach to speed to power is is the is the incorrect way to 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 go to go about his game? Yeah, I, I, we we talked about this on the show, so people generally know my opinion. But I'll toss it out there once more, since I think you've done a very cogent you know argument for for what you're talking about here. Is, is I I really like any kind of compound move from Oa because as long as he's fast in his get off. He can decide before the snap what his compound move is. He doesn't. He doesn't have to wait for the opponent to react because he's always going to be faster than the opponent. And the tackle he plays against is always going to overreact to his first move because he's the lesser athlete. So all of the things that that a great point guard can do in terms of Eurostep or or, or whatever uh, other compound moves there are. Um, and, and Oway's got a terrific spin move. I'm, you know, I was thinking Van Noy should be teaching Oway spin move, but, but Oway has looked terrific on the spin move this season as well. I mean, he's, in, in this last game, I thought he looked good. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to bring up right now. Uh, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that first step, um, because that was actually my problem with the, uh, the descriptions of him as a like thoroughbred athlete when, when the Ravens mm-hmm. drafted him coming out of Penn state, because you know, obviously he had the four, three, four, four speed. But when I looked at, and I, it doesn't look like I, I can, Oh, there it is. Um, when I looked at, you know, his film, even from his best games, obviously he was playing on, on a very, very good, very talented Penn state line, but he was always, it seemed like the last guy to out of his stance. get off. Yeah. Yeah. And so what value is that four three four four speed if you are less out of the blocks? And credit to him, credit to the coaching staff. It seems like he has fixed something mentally, fixed something physically, but where now it is a much more even battle. And I have it right here. So it looks like his average, this is from um next gen stats, his average get off at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and again, this is like all down, so it's not so it's not sorted for just pass rush pass rush downs, but it is so it's not great. It's 0.97, uh, which is like slower than Tavius Robinson, slower than Justin Matabike. Some of that might be situational, just you know, him crossing the line of scrimmage to to stop a uh to stop a run. Um but 
I think from the the eye test alone, from what we've seen on film, uh, with the, the pressure that he's able to create coming off the edge suggests that he, he's been able to, to hone that part of the game. And if if you know you are trying to attack that that half that you know the that half of the, the tackle that you need to kind of create those leverages for those those next moves, those those counters, then I, I think he's doing a great job of that. Okay. All right. Well, great. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is kind of a big deal this week, the pitching line now, so to speak, is closed on the London game. Now, they still got a buy to benefit from later in the year. But if you kind of talk through what they did, they left early for London. They got practicing there. They acclimated to Greenwich Mean Time. They put in a <laughs> thoroughly dominant effort against Tennessee that only added up to eight points on the scoreboard. But, you know, there's there's a lot of things to build on from that game that were positive. They came back, regular work day, didn't allow the players to get lost in Europe or Amsterdam or even in Las Vegas by having a week off here and coming back home. Um, started the work schedule again, got it going well again, and obviously played the most difficult opponent of the season and beat the crap out of them on Sunday. Um I think you got to look at the at the way they approached London as really one of the great organizational decisions of the year. And I'm kind of wondering, like, I, I, I haven't heard Harbaugh crow about it yet, but I got to believe, and, and I, I want, this is what I really want to hear from you. Do you think he was the organizational force behind it, or was he just perhaps a gatekeeper in deciding that it would be done that way? I, th- I think he has tremendous sway. On, on matters like that. So I, I do think that, you know, everyone before that London game did the expected story on like, oh, the Ravens are going to London earlier now after the disaster of 2017. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, I think there was just, you know, we talked to him before that the week before they left and he, he said that, you know, Everyone in our football department was looking for studies or research about whether it was actually advantageous to to leave for London earlier uh, or, or to leave for, you know, overseas trips earlier. And they couldn't really find anything, but they just figured that, hey, if it went as poorly as it did the last time with us leaving as late as we did the last time, which, you know, obviously ended up with players literally falling asleep on the 45 minute bus ride from the team hotel to the stadium, <laughs> the morning of the game. I mean, players like openly admitting that they were just so out of whack uh, sleep wise, you know, circadian rhythm wise. Uh, I, I think it absolutely made sense. And, you know, I, I think Harbaugh, if the Ravens were to do this all again, and I imagine they probably will, although, you know, who knows, what the timeline for that next trip will be we would absolutely follow the the same model that they're doing right now. I, I don't know, you know, obviously t- depending on, on when that next international trip might fall in their schedule. I, I don't know if they would do what they're doing this season with preferring not to take the buy right after and, and pushing that, kicking that can down the road a little bit um, because obviously we are still only what uh, coming up on, on week eight right now. Um, but I, I do think that they, they did everything right. Like, like you said, Ken, and, uh, I, I think Harbaugh was asked about it, uh, about the London situation after the game on Sunday. I'm just looking at the, uh, the, the quotes right now. Um, yeah, he said, 
you know, um, you love it as a coach. That's how they feel. That's how they go to work. I wasn't even thinking about it, but everybody kept asking me about not taking the buy or whatever. There you go. Um, so they, they, they felt like they were locked in coming back from London and they, they absolutely looked like it. Yeah. And now they, they, in in some ways, the Ravens earlier this year in particular looked like they could really use another bye week now, but they did actually get a lot of their players back. Um, and But now that, that week 12 bye is looking mighty, mighty juicy in terms of coming into the right time before a playoff run. They're going to have actually a pretty tough schedule, I think, down the stretch that they've got to make their way through. And and I think that having the, um, the bye there should really help them. Yeah, and I, I completely forgotten about this little quirk of their schedule until uh, I, I, someone, someone mentioned it or I, I read it, but just the fact that, you know, obviously going into the bye week with Seattle, uh, Seattle, you know, losing Uchenna Nuosu is a blow for them in their pass rush and a very, very impressive defense. Um, but that's again, it's easier than today than it was mm-hmm. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson, we, we don't know if he's going to be on IR for that week 10 game, but again, that's in Baltimore, uh, week 11, Cincinnati. That, that should be a really, really fun game Thursday night. So you, <laughs> I think it de- defies all uh, all, all uh, conventional analysis because, again, it is a Thursday night game. And then, you know, that week 12 game against the Chargers, um, who knows if Brandon Staley is even going to be the coach at that point. But that is just mm-hmm. a, a terrible Chargers defense that uh, is, seems beyond salvaging. But as, all of which is to say, you know, I've completely forgotten that you go – November 26th game by week, December 10th game. And so you have, what, what is it like two games in a span of, uh, you know, if you, if you kind of use the window of that Jacksonville game, like a span of 20 something days. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it is a very, very uh, favorable advantageous schedule. See, that, that they, the Ravens have, they have the Rams and the Jags the, between the chargers and the 49ers. The bye. Yeah. Yeah, just I mean, like I forget exactly what, what, how someone kind of you know twisted the the math on it, but just the fact that they are, are going to have the that long break from the Thursday game, got it, okay, to, to LA, and then you have the bye week, and then you have the the regular you know uh, Rams game, um, and you know who knows what that Rams team is going to look like. Obviously, Matthew Stafford. It's kind of a walking injury risk um, if, if he keeps on getting hit. Um, but that offense is, is a lot to like. But it, it's going to be a tough schedule for sure. I, I think they're what like number three in future strength of schedule on like on FTN with their, with their DVO rankings, and I think ESPN has them about the same. So it's going to be interesting. But uh, I, I think if they can get to the bye with like at least nine wins, uh, maybe eight wins on their on their on their ledger, they should feel pretty good about where they are. Uh, and then in the playoff race. Yeah, nine would do it for sure. That's four and one. That's a big, big, that's a big, tall order, but it would be great. Hey, and yeah. I, honestly, they probably are going to be favored in every one of these games. They're at home versus Cleveland and Cincinnati. And I see what you're saying about the, Ch- the Chargers road trip in week 12. That's the way to take a West Coast road trip when you have 10 days before and <laughs> two weeks after. You know, that's, you're going you're gonna to fly West and come back East. That's a great way to do it. Yeah, let's, I, let's, I don't think they're going to be putting putting camp in LA, but uh, I wouldn't mind if they did. <laughs> let's let's keep Although it I guess moving that's here. So I should, I should, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I want to ask you this. It's a very, very dominant win, obviously. But what do you take as the single biggest occurrence or positive portent from this game that we can take? Oh, man. Um, I, I guess just that in this chess match that, that we were all expecting between two aspiring grandmasters of their respective crafts and, and Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald that like Mike McDonald had checkmate within eight moves. <laughs> you know, it was just, <laughs> it, it, it did not take long for him to basically show that he had like an answer for every single little wrinkle that this Lions offense had, you know, working for it. I mean, you know, it's not an an overly talented Lions offense, at least in terms of skill position players. I mean, Sam Laporta, I thought lo- looked great mm-hmm. on Sunday. I was really impressed by him. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is obviously just a a fiend o- over the middle, and that that line when it's healthy is is fantastic. But not a whole lot of game breakers on, on that team, and they were still very very productive. And I think the way that Mike McDonald and this defense and the way that they bought in. We're just able to show that this is a Lions team with relatively unexceptional athletes at the skill position players, but, you know, aside from Jameson Williams, and he's not really, you know, the the kind of game breaker that we all thought he would be coming into the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way that they were just kind of able to level the playing field uh, athletically that tilted in their favor and then just forced the Lions into you know, uncomfortable situation after uncomfortable situation. I mean, the three, the three straight three and outs to open the game just kind of speaks for itself. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That that was wonderful. I, I thought the fact that all of the things that had worked against quote unquote, lesser quarterbacks, and I'm going to include Burrow in that group because he's not an arm strength guy. So he's right. a, he's a guy who is going to fall victim to cover two and not being willing to throw into the teeth of it. And when he did, he was terrible at 15 yards. Plus he was, O of seven with an interception for a zero passer rating. So the you come to this game and Jared Goff playing outdoors. First of all, I have high hopes for that being a bad Jared Goff day. And and we had some wind. <laughs> it wasn't as much wind as it. I mean, it didn't really feel windy where I was sitting. I'll, I'll I'll put it that way. Not terribly windy, but you did see it on the field goals. You know, so the uprights moving a little bit on, on the day. That's usually bad for Jared Goff. It is also bad for Lamar Jackson, and it's bad that the Ravens lose a kicking advantage that they have. But Goff really looked impacted by it. And I thought maybe the fact that the Ravens are playing cover two, and they start with that a lot, even if they don't really rotate out of it or they they do different things from it or use matchup zones on both sides, whatever they do from cover two might be different. But they start with that, and it really discourages waiting for longer plays to develop down the field. And uh, the Ravens have just been very effective at forcing teams to go short. Amon Ra, uh, St. Brown, had a great game. But, uh, sorry, had a lot of targets, 19 in the game for 102 (laughs) yards. That doesn't really work out to being a great weapon. That's 5.4 yards per target. Um, You wouldn't want that out of your quarterbacks. I don't know why you'd want it out of your receiver. And there's a few balls, and additionally, that had to be thrown away because of the um, shortness and might have otherwise been intended for him. He was, you know, he was... He was a guy you you certifiably do not want to be in trail coverage against Amon Rice St. Brown because he's a he he will beat you and Goff will will get the ball to him generally speaking. But um, it, it's it's not a great if if that's your 
big biggest weapon that you have, the Ravens will make you make a mistake before you get all the way down the field on them. Yeah, I mean, I think part and parcel of the Amon Ra St. Brown discussion is just how much how important the middle of the field was going to be in this game. You know, I remember kind of, I think I wrote this in my preview column, <clears throat> like according to the, the, the next gen stats uh, data, uh, Jared Goff had completed like 78% of his passes over the middle coming into the game, which, you know, <laughs> for, for fans of Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. uh, kind of makes sense. Like, you know, that is the, the easiest part of the field to complete passes to, um, especially when you have, a great run game when you can set up a play action to just have those easy little passes, you know, behind the linebackers in front of the safeties, um, sure hands, you, you've, you've got yourself a really, really nice foundation for an offense, but they just completely took it away. I think I, I have the, the, the stats right here. Um, every single game before Sunday, Goff had a positive EPA, when targeting the middle of the field. He finished the game, Sunday's game, 10 for 13, which is like, again, to your point, kind of fake stats, for 75 yards, one interception, a 58.2 passer rating, minus 0.49 EPA per dropback, which is terrible. And that is that in itself is somewhat misleading because a lot of that was helped by the fakeness of that fourth quarter, because if you isolate it just to the first three quarters, he was five for eight for 40 yards. He had that interception to, to Geno Stone, a 35.4 passer rating, and then a minus 0.83 EPA per drop back. So that every single time terrible. <laughs> he dropped back and even thought about, you know, testing Geno Stone over the middle or Roquan Smith over the middle or Roquan Smith or, or Patrick Queen over the middle. He was basically costing the Lions a point. So um, credit to the Ravens defense, the, the run defense for, you know, putting themselves in a situation where they didn't have to worry too much about play action. And obviously credit to the offense for, you know, putting themselves up where the Lions didn't, weren't really in a, a spot where running the ball or using play action made a whole lot of sense. But then also, you know, just credit to the secondary and the run defense for doing everything that they could to to take away those easy buttons for for Jared Goff and and uh, and Ben Johnson at Lions offense. Here's here's my my Jared Goff stat for the day. Here is Goff dropped back and ended up with a passer sack on 58 plays. He only got seven balls to 15 or more yards. And even if you drop that back to 10, it looks like you add maybe another seven to that between 10 and 15 yards. So almost everything he threw, like 44 out of 58, was under 10 yards. The bulk of those were complete, but. Uh, just not an impressive uh, set of passes. The Ravens were generally keeping it all in front of them later in that game during garbage time when they accumulated most of their snaps and most of their passes. Um, they really, and you know, garbage time began in what quarter two in this game with the 28, nothing <laughs> lead. Um, but it, they, they were really playing, you, you know, basically to make tackles three to five yards from the line of scrimmage on, on a lot of plays and, and were very effective doing it. Uh, it was great to see that the, the basically the scheme that had worked with a lot of bad quarterbacks work with a quarterback who's having an MVP caliber season coming into the game. Yeah, and they 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 did a good job of you know again it's tough to to sort just how this coverage distribution fell because of you you don't really know 
you know, when, when certain calls were made, but um, just a, a really impressive uh, like volatility or versatility in, in the amount of, in, in the types of coverages that they use. Just again, this is that the next gen stats data. I think the, the split, the single high versus two high was, was pretty close to 50, 50 um, cover three, 29.3% of the dropbacks. Again, this is, this is passes that were tempted. So it's not accounting for, you know, the, the five sacks that, that Goff t- took mm-hmm. um, cover four, 25.9% cover one, 15.5%, which I think is actually probably a little bit low for the Ravens considering, just how much they, they like to blitz cover six 15.5 percent cover two 10.3 cover zero 3.4 percent so uh this is not like a, a a gus bradley type system where you uh can expect one coverage to predominate and it's like cover three you know 60 70 percent of the time i mean it, it just must be hell for any quarterback any coordinator to to see as many pre-snap looks as the the raven showed and know that what they are showing you before the snap uh, could be very, very, very different uh, right after it. The the point I want to make with regard to that, and that's great information, by the way, is that the Ravens can rotate out a lot of ways, but what they show you pre-snap is typically two deep safeties. It's more often than not. That's not a pre-snap look you're talking about. That's what they rotated into is whether it's single high or, you know, cover three or whatever. And obviously cover three is something you rotate into. You don't, you don't show cover three at the snap other than a good quarterback can figure out if you're probably going to drop both cornerbacks. Um, You, you, uh, uh, you don't necessarily show up. That's a, Hamilton is a very versatile piece. I wish he didn't have to play deep safety. I think he'd be (laughs) a lot more valuable to the Ravens as the nickel. Um, If they had, you know, if, if it could be stone and Williams back there, that'd be great. I'll say this. I don't think there's a. I think there's a snowball's chance in hell they're going to get Geno Stone off the field the rest of the season. I think he basically plays every snap the rest of the way. Uh, so the question will be: Can they really find him a pairing on the back end? DHC is not the guy, but it could be Adams, who's been a better cover guy more re- recently. That could allow them. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. To revert to cover three, Mallette has been serviceable. In the amount of time, so he's yep. pretty good in this game, but I, I would much rather have Hamilton up at that nickel spot. Yeah, I, when, I whenever I think about like the Ravens' plans for Kyle Hamilton and how <laughs> how how things have shifted so many times already, mm-hmm. like uh, especially when you think about Brandon Stevens and his journey from cornerback to safety back to cornerback and him being like maybe the best cover corner on the guy right now, just in terms of what the level that he's playing at. Um, like I, I think about what the Ravens end game was 
if they had gotten that Adrian Amos deal done, did you remember that during the summer? Mm-hmm. Like, was that an admission that they actually preferred to have Kyle Hamilton in the slot, keep him in the slot? Because, you know, when we talked to John Harbaugh, I think as early as the combine, uh, they were already in the process of, of transitioning Kyle from that nickelback spot to the more conventional strong safety, you know, deep yep. safety or mm-hmm. yeah, strong safety position. Um, and then, you know, Chuck Clark gets hurt right as the Ravens are reportedly in, in talks to get that Adrian Amos deal done. And the jets come over the top with a better offer for him and, and they are able to sign him away. But I, I do wonder if, if it was Amos who was going to be basically ahead of Gino stone, Gino Smith on the, uh, 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 ahead of Gino stone on the, uh, on the, on the depth chart there and pair him with Marcus Williams. And that, that frees up Kyle Hamilton just to, to just be your wild card. Um, again, just kind of an interesting sliding, sliding doors moment and what could have yeah. been for this Ravens secondary. And we, we shouldn't begrudge it because they are yeah. one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah. I, I, my point before the season was not that Hamilton should play nickel or should play strong safety for sure. It's great to have a player who can play either. My point was they should probably try and give him one role where he's a chance, the highest possible chance to be a superstar because the variance in his play and what you get at the top end is going to be much more than with Stone preseason, which boy, Stone now is a different different animal entirely, or anybody that they had as a possibility in the slot. You know, it was Brandon Stevens and Ardarius Washington and Mallette had his chance and and now we're, we're back to Mallette again kind of thing. Somebody else who was in there that I'm forgetting about as a as a slot possibility Pepe. anyway yeah but 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 it, uh, who'd you say Pepe Pepe yeah of course how did I forget that but, but anyway uh as the season rolled out and Hamilton is unbelievable in that nickel role gives you tremendous f- flexibility because you're essentially you're set up to play 11 or 12 personnel with Hamilton at the nickel you're already set up you don't have to change anything in terms of, of moving anybody and you're as dangerous as you can be at preventing the deep pass if you have two guys like Stone and Williams back there who are you know the each a free safety in their own right but it, a certifiable force or a brick wall as a uh, pair of deep safeties on a play so you kind of force the other team into the run and then well hey you've got Kyle Hamilton a great tackler up front too and <laughs> he can rush the pass or he could I mean just it's it's a perfect situation the other thing it did is it, it really reduced the role for the cornerbacks who you know at camp we're all biting our nails about you know who the hell is going to play cornerback for the Ravens with Humphrey hurt yeah uh, it's interesting just to, to think about like the value add of Kyle at that at that deep safety, you know, free safety, strong safety position, whatever you want to call it, because it, it does kind of speak to just the the quirk of human psychology where we don't think too much about things that we don't see. And I remember writing last year and then also asking Mike McDonald about this in training camp, just like, do you remember how god awful they were at limiting deep passes last year? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they were among the worst in the NFL, just in terms of like EPA per per target of twenty plus air yards. And this year, even though we haven't seen you know other than that one game where Kyle Hamilton lined up in the slot and had the three sacks on Gardner Minshew, and you know it reminded everyone that he he can do just about whatever he wants on the football field. Uh, I don't have the stats pulled up right now, but I think for the first five weeks of the season, uh, at least going into that that Pittsburgh game. I think they'd allowed like you could probably kind of one hand the number of passes that they'd allowed beyond 20 plus air yards. And, and I think that's, that's still 
pretty close to the case. I mean, it, it's it's still mind blowing that like uh, I think they I think I think Pittsburgh doubled the number of twenty plus air yard completions uh, that the Ravens had allowed, and it was Kenny Pickett of of everyone on this Ravens schedule, the one <laughs> the the least likely candidate to inflict the most damage on on deep passes. Uh, but I guess I guess you know he knows what he's doing with with uh, with George Pickens. So uh, it, it is. I think we should give credit to Kyle Hamilton for what he's been able to do to stabilize the the back end and just discourage all manner of deep passes. Um, while also acknowledging that yeah, he certainly is more fun when he's just that that hybrid you know overhang defender just sticking his nose in there as a run defender matching up against tight ends or the josh downs of the world and and of course just everyone loves to see him blitz even though he hadn't had a single sack in the nfl or had a single sack in football until he came to the the ravens yeah that's uh that was certainly a lot of fun i did want to hitch up on one tweet we're running really long here i just want to want to kind of speed up a little bit but you had a quote about the number a tweet about the percentage of defensive snaps resulting in tds yeah, let me bring that up. So this this is from True Media, uh, which is a, a great resource and one that I have access to through a friend. Um, it, you know, not breaking any, any news here that it is you want a defense that limits touchdowns and the Ravens are doing a, a fantastic job at that. Uh, this is since 2000, the, the they have the lowest rate of touchdowns allowed uh, per drive. So 7.5% of opponents are converting their drives into touchdowns. The next best in the 23 years, uh, in that 23 year sample size is the 2000 Ravens who were at 8.2%. Number three, also (laughs) those 2000 Tennessee Titans at 9%. So they are 1.5% better than any non-Ravens team in that list. Uh, I thought it was notable because this was finally a test worthy of, you know, sharing a stat like that. Because if you consider just the, whatever the opposite of a, uh, you know, gauntlet of is for, for opposing quarterbacks and opposing offenses that they face, like it's not really a huge accomplishment that they have held, uh, you know, the Gardner Minshews of the world or the Dorian Thompson's of the world or the CJ Stroud in, in, you know, career start number one of the world to very, very few touchdowns. But I, I do think it is exceptional that even when these offenses are marching into the red zone, the Ravens are bowing up and saying, all you get is a field goal and you'll be happy with it. And if that level of proficiency is maintained throughout the entire season, then that they're not going to be, need their offense to be better than like league average to, to basically have a shot at winning every single one of these games. I mean, uh, Patrick Queen, I asked him in the locker room after Sunday's game, if this defense knows literally how many touchdowns they've allowed this season. And he said, yeah, we do. And I asked him uh, how many, and he said seven. I was like, I didn't want to be the well actually guy can, but it had to yeah. be because right. one of those seven touchdowns was especially uh, Charlie Jones. Yeah. Punt return touchdowns. <laughs> It's like actually, it's only six, which is just pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. The, the two thousand Ravens gave up three that were not on the defense. Two on on 
pick sixes by Tennessee and one in the in the Super Bowl on the on the kickoff return. Uh, but that that team was was also really special. It's a team that is thought of as being one that really benefited from a cupcake schedule during the regular season. It, that's not completely yeah. untrue. They did have a pretty easy schedule, but in the postseason they played their best defense of the year, and that was against some freaking incredibly great offenses and in particular Denver Oakland and and the Giants as well were riding a huge high when they played them uh coming off of I think 41 nothing win in the in the NFC championship so uh it, it was a I, I I'll just say the two, the 2000 defense I, I've constantly been in fights with people who like the Bears 85 86 defense but the thing the Bears do and this is something you always got to watch for it because they're always playing a shell game with you is they want to pair the 1986 regular season Bears with the 1985 postseason Bears defense and say oh that's just one team and I, no, no 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 pick your team you mean 85 or do you mean 86 and uh, and there's no question to me about which was the better defense but anyway yeah before my time. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on a little bit. Um, uh, we'll we'll try and go a little quicker. We talked a little bit about the defensive backs. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some of this. One thing interesting in this game was that the, the Ravens were leading the snap count 32 to nine, 32 to nine after their fourth drive and fourth touchdown, and a nine and out basically from the from the Detroit in their first yeah. three drives, and for the rest of the game they were out snapped 63 to 23. Some of that was due to this massive number of fourth down attempts Detroit had in the game. But is there anything to be taken from that 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 concerns you even slightly? Not really. I think probably just the the natural variance of a game like this, right? I mean, uh, obviously, they – what? Did did the Ravens have a – I don't think they had a three and out with Lamar on the field, right? They had a fumble. I think you're right. I don't think they had a three and out. I'll I'll check it real quick. But, uh, but yeah. So, yeah. So to me, you know, it, it was just again like the Lions needing four downs <laughs> seemingly every single time that they were looking for a first down and and going for it. And sometimes they got it, and sometimes they didn't. But yeah, uh, I, you know, even if it were, even if it became a concern in terms of just the disparity in total snap count. I, I know that the Ravens were getting in the, the Jalen Armour Davises of the world into the game uh, yeah. late in that fourth quarter. So whatever, you know, if, if guys were puffing and heaving, then they probably weren't, weren't playing a whole lot because the game was over and the Ravens had a, a good opportunity to, to get some of the guys at the bottom of the, at the, of the, of the depth chart into that game. Yeah, that, that was nice. We, you always hope for those games to try and get your backup linemen in, to try and get your backup defenders in. Yeah. The Ravens got everybody in. Uh, they really did. In fact, it, you know, kind of surprisingly, they left Ronnie Stanley in the game. That, But I did want to talk about the, the fourth down attempts because it, it was really a nearly a historic game. Detroit went for it on fourth down six times in this game, and they weren't short distance things. I think it was like one, four, five, six, eight, and 15. Now I'm missing one, 10, 10 also. 10 and 15. And the, the, the time they went on fourth and 15, there was a holding call. It was actually the seventh time. And it would have tied the NFL record for the most, most times anybody's been for it in a game since 1991. But uh, I, I did come up with an interesting stat on this, that, that the teams it's fortunate. This is stat head working for you. The teams that have, that went for it seven times previously went zero and six, the teams that went for six times, which was, it's happened 20, Seven times now, one and twenty-six, and the teams that went for it five times, eleven and eighty-seven in those ninety-eight games. So that's not a good thing, obviously, to go for it on fourth down. No, uh, 
in terms of esoteric stats, it looks like the Ravens are not surprisable. Maybe a little bit surprising that they're not elite. They are, according to TeamRankings.com, ninth in uh, fourth down defense. So they are <laughs> they are allowing just thirty eight point four six conversion rate, which is uh, behind Pittsburgh, behind Cincinnati. So they're not even. They're not even top two in their division, but again, a small sample size to where I think so. That's 13, five, five out of 13 they've, they've allowed if it's, if it's 0.385. So that's not much. Um, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm loving what the, what the Ravens have done. The, the Ravens um, inside the 10, their goal to go defense. Now they're down to two for eight allowed on the year. They were already leading the NFL at, at uh, uh, two out of seven, but uh, that's really special. And uh, the, the, the Tennessee, I don't know if you, you, you saw the statistics on that, but they, they'd had a historic run of converting yeah. their goal to go opportunities to make 20, you see the 23 out of 24, or 24 out of 25 over about a year and a half. And the Ravens shut them down with over two. Oh wow! I, I, I thought you were going to talk about their their defense because uh, there, there was a story in the Athletic ahead of that Ravens Cincinnati game in what week week three about how elite um, how elite Cincinnati's like second half goal line defense. It was this very really? very granular <laughs> stat, uh, but it, it was obviously inspired by the Tyler Huntley incident uh, in, in the playoffs last year. But uh, the Ravens were able to ultimately convert, I think, a couple times in the red zone against Cincinnati. So whatever good juju uh, Cincinnati had, the, the Ravens ruined with uh, with that trip to Cincinnati. Good to hear. That was that was a miserable night, I can tell you, after that game. That uh, <laughs> that was it was no fun being in Cincinnati and having to travel the next day. Did you, did you travel to the road games for for the for like the Cincinnati playoff game? Yep. Yep. I was there. OK, that was the. Uh, that that was the the game more notable for for J.K. Dobbins. Uh, when I should say more notable, but that was the game that was uh, just as notable for J.K. Dobbins going uh, scorched earth. I guess I should say on <laughs> the Ravens coaches for not feeding him the ball in the red zone and for uh, the Ravens not putting Lamar Jackson in at quarterback instead of Tyler Huntley. That was uh, gosh, I miss J.K. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm uh, J.K. And come back to Baltimore. <laughs> Chance he'll be back next year? Just offhand, give me a probability. I don't. I don't know. I, I'd. I'd say like ten percent, twenty percent. I don't know if, with all the enmity that uh, that is kind of built up between him and this front office, uh, between him and this organization, with with how they handled his his rehab and and playing him in the preseason. I imagine he probably wants a, a clean break, and you know, couldn't begrudge him for for one to leave. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I think the chance is actually higher right now that he'll be back than it was had he had a really good season. I think if he had a good season, he's certainly gone. If I, I think his chance now, sure, the Ravens can make up with a lot of players. Um, and uh, and they've shown it over the years how how good they are about accepting their own back into the fold. And I would I, I probably would say higher, but uh, but I respect your respect your call on that. Yeah. I don't want to spend a, I don't want to spend a lot of time on packages this week, but I do want to get to it. And just say the Ravens only had two packages they run in the whole game, and Jonas and I have had discussions about packages before. We had that that uh, discussion a few years ago where we did some some various analytics uh, things at a restaurant, and one of the things I wanted to, to discuss <laughs> was some various Ravens packages. And back then, they had about a dozen packages they'd run in 2018 which was the year we were looking back at. Now it's basically they run all base or nickel and they don't have any real permutations on that. Like you, you might, the, the Martindale had that, what some teams call penny, but it's basically a three 
down linemen with one inside linebacker nickel. They don't run that here anymore. They barely run a rush nickel where they put a third outside linebacker on the field because so far this year, they really haven't had the bodies to do it. So it's mm-hmm. all basically these, these, these two packages. And it makes my article a lot less interesting every week to, to be talking about that. <laughs> yeah, the, I am eagerly, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see Tyus Bowser back. Um, and uh, correct if I'm misinterpreting the, the, the packages, uh, you know, construction can, but like we saw OA line up inside uh, mm-hmm. a couple times. We saw Clowney reduce a couple times. Um, but, you know, Clowney's a good in- inside rusher. I think OA's improved as an inside rusher. We know that Tyus, when he's healthy, has the strength to kind of bully guards with that speed to power combination. So, it's been surprising, honestly, to see Michael Pierce play as much on third down as he has. Mm-hmm. I think he's done a good job. I think he's performed admirably for a guy who's playing as much as he is, uh, for, for, who's playing as much as he as he has um, at the the weight that he at the, the weight that he's carrying. But it, it will be interesting to see, you know, if and when they get as healthy as they desire, what their preferred like third and long four-man front will be i imagine justin matavika you can kind of write him in but is it going to be him next to Clowney, next to Oway, next to bowser um i, I would imagine they, they will probably keep it to like one 290 to 300 pounder uh at a time uh, I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to to, to go super heavy um unless they, they really feel like there's a matchup advantage with michael pearson there but it is going to be interesting if and when Tyus comes back and then and if and when David Ojabo uh, you know, kind of rises to the level that, that we know he's capable of. But um, yeah, th- I think that's that's something that I'm excited to see. Yeah, that would speak towards Tyus is the edge rusher you acquire at the trade deadline. And, and to me, he's, right. he's the most significant because he brings the Ravens something they do not have right now. And that's the ability to drop a really good cover guy. And I, for my money, he was... When he last played, and admittedly, now it's been a while, but he's he's the best uh, coverage outside linebacker in the entire NFL. And he dropped, yeah. dropped 32% of his NFL snaps. And as compared to Clowney, for example, he's dropped 3% of his NFL snaps in, in, in terms of coverage. <laughs> so so yeah. Tyus, Tyus is the guy you want back there. And he, he gives you all sorts of flexibility to blitz off the slot, blitz from level two, even blitz of safety um, that they're, they don't have right now. Yeah, and I, I guess this is a testament to, to Clowney's willingness to to be part of the team and to the coaches for for teaching it but i, I remember when they acquired Clowney, and i was <laughs> admittedly very very down on his prospects of being an impactful edge rusher uh on the outside this year but i, I looked at his um his past uh his past coverage snaps from cleveland last year and like the three or four times that he did drop into coverage it was like all in the red zone where he was like yeah you just need to drop back five yards and then you're good to go. Whereas, you know, here in Baltimore, they've, they've had him do it at the 30. They've had him do it at the 40 near mid, near midfield. And, you know, he's looked capable. I mean, obviously uh, he is not the athlete that he was when he was drafted first overall, but he is still a, a very, very uh, special mover uh, athletically. And, and I think you see that the few times that they've, that they've asked him to, to drop into coverage. Yeah. Size guy, no doubt about it. Uh, he's, he's at 4%. He's up from three to 4% in Baltimore, nine out of 228 <laughs> here. So uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, kind of a, a, kind of a comparison. 
Uh, all right. We're going to say anything about this. Otherwise, the team's only played three dime snaps. That's always something that sticks in my craw in, in the post Patrick queen era. That's something I think that they're going to look to do is go back to more platooning at that, at that weak side linebacker role uh, pretty much no matter who it is. Now it could be Simpson ends up being a better, being more queen like in terms of his ability to, to, to adapt over time as a coverage player. But I think, the, you sure. know, if the team is able to uh, bring the kind of safeties they always have been able to find to the table, they're probably going to have a really good guy to play that 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 dive spot when they want it. Yeah. Do you know offhand, like, how many snaps they, they've had with Gino and Marcus Williams and, and Kyle Hamilton lining up on the field together? Three. three, three just, to, just, oh, no. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Three. Hold on. What you're asking, they have had a lot of nickel snaps with that exact alignment. Okay, or okay. with Worley on the field on the back end and Hamilton in the slot. They've had plenty of that. But but actually replacing Queen with a safety is right. what I'm talking about. Right. So um, yeah. you know, you could if you had Hamilton on the field, you could call that a four safety look if you wanted to, but I I, I just call Hamilton a traditional nickel uh, for purposes yeah, I of gotcha. this analysis. Yeah. All right, let's talk about a little bit about the pass rush. Then we'll uh, uh, we'll uh, uh, take a break here and and, and come back. Um, modest numbers from McDonald in this game. Um, it, it, let's see, I think it was forty eight out of fifty eight. He rushed three or less. Let me bring up my stats here so I've got it in front of me. And let's see, yeah, four, one time with three. Uh, that might have been the very first play of the game. Then forty seven with four. Again, four sacks and three point eight yards per pass when you're rushing four men. I, I just, I cannot help but continue to gawk at how those statistics have been the entire year. It, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, I mean, they, they are, they're doing such a good job with, with their simulated pressures, with their creepers. Um, Next Gen Stats keeps, keeps track of um, like the, the number or the, the, I guess what percentage of plays uh, someone drops from the line of scrimmage uh, into coverage. And it would not surprise you again to, to know that the Ravens are right at the tippy top. Uh, I think they're first, second or third thereabouts. Um, you know, th- there is no player on this. There's no player who takes the field who isn't a threat to go left, right, up, down. I mean, it, it is just like a video game out there in a lot of ways. One thing we saw in this game that was that was really special, we saw two double cat blitzes, but the, the, both the outside corners blitzing. Yes. Let's talk about play. those. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, ha, how many times have have they? I remember they did that in the blowout of the Rams. Ironically enough, it yes. was another nineteen. Yeah. The yes, uh, another just absolute woodshed game. Um, but the the the, the the one double corner blitz that stuck out to me was the the one that yielded the two yard sack by Van Noy, mm-hmm. where he kind of runs Jared Goff out, out of the picture. But even that one was kind of strange, um, not not least because it's Michael Pierce dropping into the middle hook. But it, it was almost you know you had Marlon tearing off one side, look, looking like um, you know he, he knew that it was a seek and destroy mission for him. But for Brandon Stevens on the other side. It was kind of weird because it was it, it, he was almost playing it like it was a green dog blitz because he, he was kind of staying to engage that that wide receiver or tight end doing like the speed out to the side. And then he then and only then did he actually take a route to the quarterback. So he was able to actually you know, breach the pocket eventually and be a part of that 
party that that hunted uh, Goff down. But it was it was very strange to see a corner, a you know, like you said, a, a double, a two cat, double cornerback blitz, but one side be asynchronous. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Usually, it's a narrow formation on the offense that that can trigger that call. And then you end right. up, you know, sending sending both guys, and they are they are screaming like banshees because they got to have a replacement coverage guy on each of those receivers, and that's of course a big risk. Of course, you, one thing you're sure when you rush from both outside corners is no matter what that quarterback's doing, including any sort of boot play action, whatever, he's going to see one of them right away. So, <laughs> so that's the good thing is he he if it's Jared Goff, he he, he gets nervous because he sees color. And uh, and that, that's always been something about about golf. And I think it's one of the reasons they really brought him back down to earth in this game was they showed him color pretty much the whole game in terms of stunts, in terms of some of the some of the off ball blitzes, which they didn't do a ton of. I mean, they had 58 dropbacks and they only had 15 off ball blitzes. That's not a ton at point twenty six per play. And it's been over half a, a half a per play in some games, but only three point one yards on those, including the stone interception. The big thing was stunts. And some of these can be called on the field, but I have a feeling a lot of these were called pre-snap in this game. 20 total stunts in this game, eight singles and six doubles. And I want to get your opinion on this, Jonas, but it looked to me like they were trying to create opportunities for the underneath player to then peel off one of the two blocks on him. And a lot of times that was Matt Abike going underneath. Yeah, well, I mean, the that, that first pressure or I guess the first sack of the game with yep. Matt Abike, right? Where he just kind of slips in. Uh, <laughs> it, it looked to me, and this is just good coaching that they were going after uh, that backup left guard, obviously the, the, the lines without uh, Jonah Jackson uh, shout out to anyone who's named Jonah or Jonas or, <laughs> or <laughs> any, any, any permutation close to thereof. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is a very well-schooled Lions offensive line. I think, you know, PFF had them, what, top two, top three coming into this game. Um, the, the the level of the execution from the, like, stunts and twists that we were seeing in the preseason where it just looked so pedestrian and, like, slow motion, and it was just, like, watching mold grow, just the the the, the rate at which like the pace of play, which the, those guys are playing to, to now where it's Matabike and it's, you know, Patrick Queen get in the mix with whatever name you have for that tried and true staple where, you know, he's lining up in the a gap and taking on the guard so he can free Matabike, whoever it is coming up the middle. I mean, it, it just looks so much faster than it did in the preseason, which is understandable because these are the starters, but still yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was very, very down on, on like the pass rush plan for, from Mike McDonald because they were blitzing so much in the preseason and they were not getting home. And now they are not blitzing very much. and They are getting home like twice as often. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really real big credit to them. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, just like a, a very, very creative use of just how these guys were lining up. And, and uh, I mean, I think you probably stunt, studied the stunts and, and twists better than I did. So if you want to speak on, any kind of plays that, that stuck out, I can I can maybe uh, piggyback off you. Maybe we'll just talk about the the very first one that, that you mentioned before because it was it was definitely an attempt to get Matabike in between the uh, and I got in between the the guard and the tackle I believe or maybe it was the guard and the center. Let me bring it up right here for a second. Yeah, it was in the right a gap that that he set the pick, and then he had beat he beat the center inside when Pierce looped around and forced the guard to pick him up. 
And that's oftentimes it's a little misunderstood, but people think it's the looper on a stunt that sometimes gets a good opportunity. Oftentimes the underneath player, because he gets like two 45 degree angle blocks against right. him effectively by two players who next. And his job is just to squeeze into the corner there. And all of a sudden you get one of those guys released and you got a big opportunity to get to the quarterback very quickly. So Tim Jernigan was a guy, Pernell McPhee were guys who, who really took advantage of that extremely well in, in Ravens history. But uh, it, this, this was this is a special situation. I think we're going to see Matt BK as the under. He's got the he's got all the quickness you would need to be the looper. So he can he can do that yeah. if you want him to. But um, but he's also just seems incredibly um, tweaked up, torqued up, whatever you want to call it, in terms of his ability to uh, put a put a powerful move on either side to his, of his body to get to the quarterback um, once that pressure is relieved from one side. We can we can maybe table this for the individual player discussion, uh, Ken. But if if we, if we want to touch on it, if we want to get into it right now, where are you on the like Justin Matabike is getting to elite conversation? <laughs> I, I I'm not I'm not concerned with that that conversation at all. I think he he, he is proving it right now. I, the penalties early in the year had me really concerned about how Zier had started yeah. out, but he's gotten he's fixed that. And now he's rushing the passer like no other interior defensive lineman in the game, or like only a couple of others, if you want to include Chris Jones, maybe as as being his equal. But Aaron Donald is not this year. Um, I, I think he's he's just very special, and um, I, I don't think the Ravens can re-sign him if that's where we're going with this discussion. But uh, again, this is where where are you on that? No, that 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 is, I guess my. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is that he is an incredible closer. He's an incredible finisher, but on a down-to-down basis, I don't think he is yet at that level that would deserve like bank-breaking money. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm there with you. He did, you know, Seth, Seth, I think Seth Walter, who, who does great. You know, uh, data analytics and data viz for for ESPN. This was like it, it's a, it's a couple weeks old at this point, and, and Justin's had a c- couple of great weeks in the in the time since. But like, and he put a chart out, basically of the, the qualifying interior pass rushers, and it was like, you know, one axis was double team rate, the other one was, um, I think, win rate or pressure rate, and Justin was like very very low on both in in terms of he wasn't getting very double team very often. <clears throat> nor was he getting wins very often. And I you know, wanted to kind of double check that against PFF and, uh, you know, like just kind of set, you know, a random threshold for, for pass rush snaps among interior defensive linemen uh, and ended up with a sample of, I think about like 60 or so with, uh, with enough qualifying snaps. And again, he was like right in that 50th percentile in terms of PFFs uh, pass rush win rate which was confusing because this was probably closer to him, you know, having the, the, the nice couple sacks, uh, sack performances. So I am curious to see if we are seeing, if we are going to see that pressure rate match the sack rate, or if we're going to see the sack rate fall down to where the pressure rate is. It'd be an interesting call. I'll, I'll tell you, PFF and I use a different definition of pressure. And I have a, a three-second yeah. standard. They have a two and a half. So I had Matabike for five pressures in this game in total. 
Um, they also give you give the give the player credit for a late pressure. I, I, I'm if they if he gets a pressure within three seconds and the quarterback has to move, that's a pressure as far as I'm concerned. Even if he is is forced out of the pocket where he then has time to make a throw, but if you if you get that quarterback flush, generally I, I I call that a pressure. The other thing is I have more distinctive definition of what the cone is, and and denying the quarterback the ability to step into his throw is a very big deal. Sure. So uh, we had um, Travis Jones in particular had a bunch of those pressures in this game. But anyway, Matabike I think has has done a lot of that, and if you look at how the Ravens have really been successful. They've had a lot of schemed up pressures, in particular the slot corners have had six sacks this year, which is, you know, you look at positions in the NFL and they've only had 30 pass rush attempts. They've got six sacks, but they've had some wonderful schemed up blitzes like that that have gotten home. But they've also, most of their sacks are of the compound variety. I mean, they get somebody to get that initial pressure, get in the cone, get that quarterback to move, and then somebody else cleans it up. They they don't have one-on-one pass rush winners that have looked really great. And I don't think Matabike is that. I don't think Oway is that. I don't think Clowney is that. And I don't think Van Noy is that. Even though they are all have great aspects of getting initial pressure sometimes um, and closing sometimes, none of them is Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, Trey Hendrickson, any of those guys. Yeah, I, I do think Oway could be there. Um, I, I think I was really impressed by what he did against Tunsil in, in week one and for him to, like I said, beat Decker uh, a couple times and beat Sewell that one time for the hold um, at less than 100%, uh, I think we're starting to see him finally break out and, and emerge. And I, I don't know if he's going to, like, if his if his end-of-season sack totals will be that of a 10-sack guy, um, you know, if you just kind of braid it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a, you know, if you, if you discount the, the games that, that he lost to injury, but I, I do think that he is like the most talented pure pass rush guy on this team. Um, maybe, maybe right up there with Matt PK, who after looking at PFF right now is like 16th in a true pass sets pressure rate among interior defense alignment, which is pretty good. He's like in the company of Ed Oliver, uh, Christian Wilkins uh, <laughs> behind Michael Pierce still. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know he, he's not at the Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Javon Hargrave, Chris Jones level, obviously. Yeah. All right, outstanding stuff. It's always great to talk football with you, Jonas. I know we've run a little long here. We'll get we'll come back for part two. But I want you to tell people where they can find you on online and maybe talk football with you if they have a question to ask you or whatever. Yeah, uh, just BaltimoreBanner.com. Uh, I believe it's a uh, one dollar uh, for six months. The the usual. Get you in cheap, so we can get you, get you for for longer type type deal. Uh, we have a Banner Ravens podcast, which you can find on Apple and on Spotify. Uh, we do after every game, and then a preview pod on Thursdays. I'm sure we'd love to have you on on one of those, Ken, at, at some point. Um, yeah, I, I don't really do a good job of checking my mentions, so if you want to send me a, a hate mail or a, a letter of uh, thanks. You can just send send it to my email, or uh, just try to reach out to me over DMs, or or you can just bug 
bug can to, to pass on the message. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Sometimes I have trouble digging through to him by DM as well, but I'll just say this. Jonas is one of the most fun people to spend time with at camp. He's very cerebral and you get, you pick up on this from, from the discussion, of course, uh, but we can sit there and we can talk football and you, you sometimes have to watch yourself when you're at camp because you're really there to watch the field and you can get, you talk to some just very interesting football people and that's somehow you can, you can lose time in the conversation certainly with Jonas when that happens, but, uh, uh, but great football, uh, guy and uh, and always fun to talk to other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short you hit me up with a dm on twitter they're always open i i will respond to you very quickly and talk through your kernel of an idea and hopefully you can make a show out of it um i think one thing i'll, I'll just advise is try and keep the topic a little bit narrow and siloed so we can get through it in about 20 to 30 minutes because that's a goal of the short series is to have some alternatives that are shorter content to draw people into the the uh film study podcasts and then get him listening to the longer ones, which people are naturally resistant to listening to a, to a longer pod. Jonas, thanks again for coming on. Thanks again. And I, I hope that our, our extended discussion of the uh, Ravens cover zero <laughs> disaster against Miami didn't, doesn't, doesn't preclude people from doing a, a short podcast. I'm because it is, <laughs> it is rich, rich ground. <laughs> it's real <Yeah>. territory. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time on film study. Island. We're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.